say good morning. Look here. <laughs> you are just, you're, you're, you're just captivated with each other. Good morning, Jared. Hey, man, it's good to see you today. Good to see all of you today. But uh, glad that you have made the, the wonderful decision to come and be in the house of the Lord today. Soma said, and I know you've read this and heard this before, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I pray that you came with a sense of gladness today. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. Welcome. Um, encourage you to fill out a visitor card if you find one around you. And if you're watching online, if you'll just look in the description below the video, you'll find a link. Click on that. It'll take you to a bulletin online. You can scroll down to the bottom and fill out a connection card. Just a few announcements. Um, first of all, tonight there will be no evening activities. Uh, San Saba First Baptist Church um, is hosting a spring Bible conference, and Russ Miller, who is from Creation, Evolution, and Science Ministries, um, he is uh, putting on a, a mini conference there at the church. And so tonight, um, and I failed to look out on the, on the bulletin board to see what time tonight is. I think it's at 6 o'clock, but I will make sure and let you know before we dismiss what time the program is at San Saba First Baptist Church tonight. So we won't be here. We will dismiss so that if you'd like to go over there, you may. But I do encourage you to go. I think you'll get a lot out of this. Um, so again, there are no evening activities. Youth is going over. There are no evening Bible study. A second um, announcement I need to put before you is about Center Kid Camp. Uh, you can see the date there in um, the bulletin. It's at Austin College. And it's for those who have just completed third through sixth grade. And if you need to reserve a spot, make sure you talk to Jerry. Um, I think that is all the announcements I need to make at this time. Anyone else think of other announcements that need to come before the church at this time? Cat has got your tongue. Okay. Except one of us. Doesn't have his tongue. <laughs> and I, when I say that, I... Mom, Dad, if your child gets rambunctious, it doesn't bother me a bit. It doesn't bother anybody else a bit. We're glad that you bring your kids to church. Um, I want to read for a call to worship today from Colossians chapter 1. We are here today to worship our risen Lord. And he sits at the right hand of the Father in full authority. And Paul, in chapter 1 of Colossians, talks about Jesus. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And now Paul talks to his readers and us, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We celebrate this morning the work of our Savior. Let's stand and worship.
Good morning. How are you guys? I have a question for you. Um, do any of you guys ever go to family reunions? Do you have older cousins? Yes. <clears throat> you do? <clears throat> do you ever get together with them and just have lots and lots of fun? Maybe sit around a campfire or something and tell stories? Anybody? Have any of your older cousins or older friends ever told you ghost stories? Are they scary? Your older sister and your older brother? Once, whenever we had a campfire. Uh-huh. Well, that was what I experienced when I was little. And you know what? I know that ghosts aren't real, but somehow you just can't help being a little bit scared when people tell ghost stories. And sometimes you have a hard time sleeping at night, right? Okay, so y'all know ghosts aren't real, right? Okay, well, let's just pretend, okay? Jesus lived, people believed in ghosts, 
and they were afraid. I want to tell you a story this morning about an incident when there were two men walking down the road to Emmaus, and they were talking about Jesus and the fact that he had been crucified and everything that had happened. And um, all of a sudden, there was another man walking with them. And they thought it was a ghost. But he said, don't be afraid. And they realized it was Jesus. And he showed them his hands and his feet and they realized that it was Jesus. So they ran back into town and they told the disciples that Jesus was really alive. And he came and appeared to them. Remember last week we talked about Jesus appearing in a room with the disciples and Thomas wasn't there. And so when they told Thomas, Thomas didn't believe. Well, these people still sort of thought, his disciples still thought, maybe this is a ghost. So Jesus said, why don't you fix me something to eat? Because everybody knows that ghosts don't eat, right? So he sat there and he ate some fish in front of them. And they finally realized it was really, really Jesus. And they knew that they had to go and tell other people that Jesus Christ had been crucified, but he had conquered death. He had come out of the grave, and he lives today. And that's what we're supposed to do, too. We are supposed to let other people know. Sometimes we just get so used to the story that it doesn't bowl us over. But... It happened. It's real. Jesus Christ was crucified and he came out of the grave and he lives. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And so we need to tell people about him. Okay, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, um, that when Jesus Christ arose from the dead, he was not a ghost. He was our risen Lord and Savior. And Father, we just ask you to give us boldness in proclaiming that truth to others so that they can come to know Jesus Christ and be saved for an eternal life with him. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. Thank you for these beautiful children. In Jesus' name, amen.
debt that you didn't owe and that we couldn't pay. Be glorified in this place today. And change our hearts that we walk away and say, God did something amazing here. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord, we pray. Amen. If you remain standing for the reading of God's word. You would please take your copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew chapter 7. We'll be in the first six verses of Matthew 7, bringing to you a sermon entitled, Judging Rightly, Avoiding Condemnation and Hypocrisy. Again, if you didn't bring a Bible, you should find a hardback black one somewhere around you. If you'll pick that up, turn to the back of the Bible, find page 5. Uh, you will be in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. This is God's word. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for this section of Scripture. It places a very um, high standard, and we know that standard comes from you. Help us to walk in accordance with its teachings. Help us to understand it and to endeavor for your glory to do all that it tells us to do. We pray this for the sake of your Son who willingly laid down his life that we might have life. It's his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 1 is probably one of the most commonly weaponized verses in the Bible. You understand what I mean by weaponized? Someone takes it and uses it as a club on you because you dare to point out some sort of moral impropriety or shortcoming, um, and so should you even dare to stand up to those that are leading our country down the primrose path of dalliance, you will be met with judge not lest you be judged. How many of you have ever been clubbed over the head, browbeaten with verse 1? Okay, a few hands. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand this time. How many of you have ever clubbed someone over the head? Raise your hand. James, I said don't raise your hand. Okay, all right, good. Judge here in verse 1, we can understand this particular word in two ways. And the reason I say we can understand it is because this word is, has different ways that it is used in Scripture. One way that it is used is with the meaning to assess or evaluate. A few weeks ago, Sydney and I and Stephanie went down to... Austin to the livestock show and rodeo. Sydney has a red Angus heifer named Aggie, and she and three other heifers of that age walked into the show ring, and there was a judge there that had the job to assess or evaluate those animals. That's one way to think about judge, one way that it's used in the Bible. A second way to use judge is in the sense of condemnation or vengeance, to condemn or avenge. Now, which of these two meanings do you think Jesus was prohibiting in verse 1? The first use or the second one? The second one, obviously. Right, the second one. So does that mean, does it imply, does it follow that we are not then to assess or evaluate well, 
Not only is verse 1 one of the most weaponized verses in the Bible, it's the most misunderstood. Even if you assess or evaluate, you are shown to be condemning. They just connect the dots. If you dare to assess or evaluate, you're automatically condemning. So we need to understand that verse 1, though Jesus says, don't condemn, he's certainly not saying, don't evaluate or assess. However, we live in a time where this is true. This is a quote from Timothy Keller, former pastor from New York. This is a quote that was on Facebook this week. It says, Roman Empire. This is about Christians. You Christians are too exclusive. You threaten the social order because you won't honor all deities. That's why Christians were actually called atheists. Because they, they would only honor God through his son, Jesus Christ. They were called atheists because they wouldn't honor all deities. But in the modern West, it seems that the West has put its own spin on it. You Christians are, are too exclusive. You threaten the social order because you won't honor all identities. You know, we're supposed to honor all identities. And in the modern West, anything less than honoring all identities is in itself a condemnation. We're not even supposed to assess or evaluate. We're supposed to honor. But if you do assess and not honor, you are met with condemnation so as to pummel any sort of dissent you might offer into submission. This is the world in which we live. So, how do we as Christians fulfill our prophetic role? Now, let me explain prophetic role. By prophetic, it can mean one of two things. One, it can be like in the Old Testament where prophets would foretell what was going to take place in a certain time. Another way to think about it is, I'm sorry, forecast. Forecast. They would forecast what's going to happen. But there's also foretelling where a prophet would say, this is what you are doing. And according to God's standard, it is wrong. So when I say that the church needs to fulfill its prophetic role, and how are we to do this in the day in which we live, where we stand up and with no uh, uh, no wavering, say this is wrong. How do we, as Christians, fulfill our prophetic role? Do we stop judging to assess or evaluate? Obviously not, because if we do, we won't be faithful to this morning's text, which is why the sermon is entitled, Judging Rightly. So how do we judge rightly? Jesus tells us, first of all, we judge without condemnation. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The late John Stott, his picture will be up on on the screen in just a moment, has written a fantastic commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. It's not technical, very readable. And I want to read you a portion of this to help us understand what does Jesus mean specifically by condemnation. Stott starts with a word that we don't often use, I'm going to bet. How many of you have ever used the word censorious in a Scrabble game? You nodded your head. Did you? Have you ever used one? No. I, I, Miss Owen, she nodded her head. I thought, man, I don't want to play Scrabble with her. Censoriousness. I've heard Alistair Begg. I love listening to Alistair Begg. I've heard him use that before wasn't quite sure what he meant by it, but Stott helps us to understand. Censoriousness is a compound sin consisting of several unpleasant ingredients. It does not aim to assess people critically, but to judge them harshly. The censorious critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, 
and is ungenerous toward their mistakes. Worse than that, to be censorious is to set oneself up as a censor, and so to claim the competence and authority to sit in judgment upon one's fellow man. But if I do this, I am casting both myself and my fellows in the wrong role. Since when have they been my servants responsible to me? And when, since when have I been their Lord and judge? To be censorious, which I think is what Jesus means by condemnation, to be censorious is to presume arrogantly to anticipate the day of judgment, to usurp the prerogative of the divine judge, in fact, to try to play God. Stott goes on, if we pose as judges, we cannot plead ignorance of the law we claim to be able to administer. If we enjoy occupying the bench, we must not be surprised to find ourselves in the dock. In other words, if we enjoy putting others on trial, we must not be surprised when we are put on trial ourselves. He says, as Paul put it, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, whoever you are, when you judge another. For in passing judgment upon him, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, are doing the very same thing. To sum up, the command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind. Rather, it is a plea to be generous. Jesus does not tell us to cease to be men by suspending our critical powers, which help us help to distinguish us from animals, but to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God by setting ourselves up as judges. Now, that was a mouthful from Stein. But I think it's understandable. We don't get to play God. We can tell someone that they are wrong in accordance with the word of God. And I believe we must. That's why this the sermon is entitled Judging Rightly. But I believe we must judge. And we must judge without condemnation. For we are the ones who do not condemn. And if we decide that we want to be the ones that condemn. Jesus says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And the judgment you pronounce, the condemnation you pronounce, the censorious manner that you use will be used with you. So we're to judge without condemnation. Secondly, we're to judge without hypocrisy. Again, picking up in verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a, the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. And I'm going to stop right there. You hypocrite. Now, to explain this, I, I think we understand what this means. Jesus is not talking about literal speck in someone's eye, literal log coming out of someone's eye. That's the point of him using these kind of examples. They're so... Um, in some ways over the top that you don't forget them. But it also reinforces the fact that there's a, a difference between a person who has a log in their eye trying to stick, trying to take care of a speck in another person's eye and, and a person who truly has done the heart searching to try to not be a hypocrite and said, here, brother, let me help you. In the Old Testament, we recall the story of David and Bathsheba. David covered up everything, or so he thought. And then after um, Uriah was, had, had died and Bathsheba mourned and moved in with David, uh, David was paid a visit by a man named Nathan, who was a prophet. And he forth was forthtelling with David. And he did so in a parable. So there's a man... And he was a very well-to-do man, and he had this lamb that he just absolutely loved. And he doted on that lamb. And then somebody came along and took that lamb and killed it. David was getting a little, his hackles were, getting, were raising a little bit. And Nathan asked him the question, what should happen with this man? He said, that man ought to be killed, ought to be judged, condemned. And Nathan said, you're that man. 
What did David do? He stopped right then and he realized he was a hypocrite. He was going to sit here and condemn someone in an imaginary story and he had a huge log sticking out of his eye. So when David wanted to remove the speck in the parable, Nathan showed him the log in his own eye. David realized his sin, his hypocrisy, he confessed, and he found forgiveness from God. Stott is, there's a picture of John Stott, late John Stott, no longer with us. But here's a great quote. This is the last one I'll share from this commentary. It's, a, it's from the section on hypocrisy. He said, indeed, what we are often doing when we're acting as a hypocrite is seeing our own faults in others and judging them vicariously. We know that we have that fault. They have it. And if we just judge them, that's what he's referring to. That way we experience the pleasure of self-righteousness because we've stood up for the standard without the pain of penitence. To be penitent means that you're repentant. See, David, after Nathan's confrontation, was penitent. The Pharisees and religious leaders that Jesus confronted with the truth they doubled down on their self-righteousness, and they were impenitent. So we're to judge without condemnation and without hypocrisy. Then Jesus t- turns and, 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 and speaks positively. We're to judge with brotherly care. I want to continue in verse 5. Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will, be, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I noticed that we're supposed to deal with our own sin, our own problem. Then you will be, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Notice that in verse 3 and in verse 5, there's the use of the term brother. And I believe what Jesus wants us to do as we judge rightly is to judge with brotherly care. To look at a brother and to realize that they need help. We're not trying to meddle in their life just for the sake of being the sin police. It's a true concern, a sincere compassion and care, whereby we we go up to a brother or sister and we say, hey, I've I've noticed this. Can can we talk about it? Can Can I help you? Can I come alongside you and walk with you? Because it's one thing to point out someone's speck and then just to move on. It's quite another thing to treat them with brotherly care and say, I want to come alongside you. Has anyone ever come alongside you and said, brother, sister, I, I noticed this in your life. And I'm not here to sit over you in judgment or condemnation. But I think you know this is not in line with the word of the Lord. I don't want to see you persist in this. I want you to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want you to enjoy all the abundant life that Jesus has for you. But do you realize that if you don't let go of this, you're depriving yourself of a deeper, more rich relationship with your Father and with your Savior? Can I walk with you and pray with you and study Scripture with you? Person still may say no, but they can't accuse you of not caring. We need to walk with each other in brotherly care. In fact, you think I'm making this up. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the burden to which Paul is referring in verse 2? It's the burden of coming alongside a brother or sister and restoring them in the spirit of gentleness when they are caught in a transgression. They need to know that not only are you willing to confront them with the truth of Scripture, but you are willing to work toward redemption and restoration. Finally, 
Jesus tells us to judge with discernment. Verse 6. Do not give to dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. All the different sources that I consulted on this verse, uh, you'll find that there's a varying number of opinions. Um, but I want to say this from the get-go. Jesus is not name-calling or being negative. He's not encouraging us to call people pigs and dogs, to look at someone as if they were a pig or a dog. Uh, you recall in uh, Jesus, the woman um, came up to him and said to Jesus, my, heal my, my, my child. He's like, we're not supposed to take the bread that's meant for the children of Israel and give it to the dogs because she was a Gentile woman. So they were, that, that term does have a pejorative or a negative aspect to it. But Jesus is not doing that here. He is simply saying that there will be some people you cannot help. You do your imperfect best to assess and evaluate without condemnation or hypocrisy. And your presence demonstrates a willingness to help. And they refuse your repeated warnings and offers of help. And at some point, you realize that Jesus was right. To those you are trying to help, your efforts are like holy things to dogs and like pearls are to pigs. Does that mean, then, that you stop warning, you stop trying to help? I'll give you a non-committal answer here, I, and I, but I think it's the right one. It depends. It depends. If the gospel and the working out of its message is being trampled underfoot, then you may have to stop. And there may be places that you could go into and the gospel could be trampled underfoot in such an egregious way that why would you want the gospel to be treated that? But then there are other times when what is called for is patience, endurance, and perseverance, remembering how God has been so very patient with each and every one of us. John Stott, in his commentary, said that in all the years that he had been trying to put into practice what these verses said, there was only two times, two times, and he was in ministry for a very long time, there was only two times in all those years that he ever decided that I'm giving to a dog what is holy. I'm, I'm giving pearls to swine. So I think that patience, endurance, and perseverance is called for. But if you're like Stott, you find yourself in a place where this person doesn't want to receive the help. And, and, and you pull back. I think it still follows that we pray and we trust that God knows the difference between a Pharaoh and a Paul. God will harden the heart of a Pharaoh, but the heart of a Paul, he may send through some extreme circumstances in order to show him that he is indeed the one that he's been persecuting. So we're to judge with discernment. Remember the title of this morning's sermon is Judging Rightly. And I'm going to say again, I believe we must do that, not just because it's the need of the hour in our day and age, but also because it is the command of the Lord. But will we? Are we convinced that we must judge, that we must assess and evaluate in light of the teachings of Scripture? Maybe. But here's what we understand. Doing so is to invite trouble. Jesus judged the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and they killed him. And we just simply may not want that kind of trouble. However, if we are convinced that we must proceed, we quickly find that we're involved in a battle on not just one front, but two. We have to, we're, we're on the front with those we're trying to help and with ourselves. We have to battle our own censoriousness and hypocrisy. 
We have to battle our own selfish unwillingness to care enough about a brother or sister to invite the trouble and fight the battle. After counting the cost, we may conclude that judging rightly is too difficult. Maybe their speck isn't all that bad. Maybe my log is pretty well okay. But isn't that what pigs and dogs would do? Haven't we then trampled underfoot the holy things of God? And in turn, would that not invite a different kind of trouble? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. Peter says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? I wanted to be sure that I was not taking this verse out of context weaponizing it as a sermon point so I could drive by shooting you with it. I have to do that so often. I'll think of a verse and I'll think, I've got to read this in context. Now the context that I came across in commentaries on this judgment is talking about what the author of Hebrews said that now that Jesus has come, now that the last days are here, basically that Jesus has ushered in the last days, the last times. We're not to the end times, the end of the end, but we're in the last days. Um, Acts refers to that as well. I think Peter the apostles in his sermon talks about Joel. Joel said in the last days, talking about the kinds of signs that were being performed or seen there um, at at Passover, at um, Pentecost, I should say. So we're in the last days. And the type of judgment that we can expect is that when God comes, he is going to judge all things. When Christ comes, all things will be judged. But where do you think he's going to start? Peter says, it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. In other words, if we know that judgment is coming and that God's going to talk to us first, and if it begins with us, What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? If we know it begins with us, then I think it follows that judgment should begin with a household of God. That we should be people who are as zealous for God's glory as God is for His glory. And that we would settle for nothing less in our lives and in each other's lives, than to see God's abundance, His glory fall upon each individual person. And I think, and this is me, you may not agree, this is me, I think we are way past the time for judgment to begin at the household of God. If we want to have a prophetic voice in our culture. Don't you think they see right through us when we can decry certain sins and they can walk through the door and see the very same sins that are outside the church walls? They see right through it. I want to offer this to you. Give you something to think about. And then I'll close. I think we can see the direction that God is taking is allowing our country to go. Not, I wouldn't say taking, but allowing. Our country and our world to go. And perhaps this is, in a sense, a discipline on God's church. But when we are judged, Paul says, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two. 32, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Perhaps our lampstand is being relocated because in our own ranks we have failed to allow to let judgment begin with the household of God and so now God is turning up the fire. And if that is the case, maybe someday we'll know. But if it truly is the case, God is, in allowing this, he's doing a work in his church. I don't know about you, but I want to, I want to uh, avoid the, the judgment and the discipline. 
And so I pray that we will honor God by doing what he has told us to do. I want to close with this, this from Spurgeon. It is right that where there is a high calling and an honored name, that there should be a life proving the accuracy of these two things. So when God begins to test that which professes to be gold and silver, who can say that he does not begin his testing at the right place and with the right material? God is concerned with his glory. God redeemed a people for himself who would also be concerned for his glory. So let us pursue God's glory by being faithful to Christ's command. Let's pray. Father, this is a hard section of scripture. I pray that um, if I have preached this in a way that falls way uh, far outside of how we're to understand it, uh, that those who are present here and those who listen, they would completely forget everything that I've said and that you would remove that and replace it with truth. But Father, if this is truth, I pray that we wouldn't uh, downplay it, diminish it, because this truth reflects your glory. Help us to take this truth, to internalize it, and to seek your glory at all costs. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing, what's the song? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's stand and we're going to worship together. somewhere in Haiti, if I'm not already done. I'll leave tomorrow morning. I'll be back the following Monday. So I would cover your prayers for me and for my family. Um, I am missing regional track. <laughs> and so my heart's going to be in two places at once. So could we have a word of prayer and then we'll be dismissed? Um, Shannon, yep. could we make that word of prayer for you? Um, sure. Sure. Yes, sir.
I'll see you in a few weeks. You are dismissed.